Hi, this is Keith Kefchin, and you're listening to Dollars and Drivers, a podcast that allows leaders an outlet to discuss what drives them and their distinct way of succeeding in life and business. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Drivers. Today, we're going to be speaking with Carlos Rodriguez Jr., one of the up-and-coming superstars in the hotel investment world. And I think two major points came out of the discussion that I thought were quite interesting is one, how to go on the offensive during these crazy COVID times. And he talks uh, very eloquently about how to do that, but do it uh, with uh, risk in mind. And then the other I thought was really very personal and interesting was how to succeed in a family business. Uh, he joined his dad a few years back. Uh, not necessarily wanting to join the family business. And I think he articulates quite well how to do that. And there's some great life lessons for people who are thinking about getting into the family business. I uh, hope you enjoy uh, the listen with Carlos Rodriguez Jr. So I'll, I'll take, yeah, I'm going to take, you know, hopefully no more than a half an hour of your time. Appreciate you doing this. Uh, and, and maybe to get started uh, for the listeners. Uh, we've been asking something kind of slightly off topic, but important in, in that how has your organization, you in particular, uh, been affected uh, by the COVID crisis and what's the company been doing to either alleviate uh, or address the craziness that's been going on? Man, that's a, that's a question that uh, has a... <laughs> Can have a long answer, um, but our, I mean, our industry obviously was affected tremendously by this, uh, and continues to be affected and, and well into the following year. So initially, I, I remember when we first heard the news of the shutdowns. I mean, we were all talking about, okay, we'll hunker down for a couple months, and this will this will start to you know. I mean, obviously, there was hopes that that we would be coming back end of summer. Uh, back into into normalcy or a little yeah. bit more, you know, what we're used to, and uh, you know now we're in this for for the long haul. So it's definitely taken its its uh, it's gone in phases, and um, you know for for an organization, you're constantly adapting to these different phases. So you know, first you have the, the shock of it, and then you know the initial reactions and and shuffling, and then you you almost become you know, used to it. And then you have to think about, okay, what happens after this, right? And how do we start getting people back? Into like the, the 12 steps of COVID. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, you know, to to kind of condense it all, we are, uh, our company's in a position where we have two different sides uh, competing for attention. On one side, we have the existing portfolio that has been uh, severely affected and dealing with the operating company and our investors on how to you know, stop the bleed in a way um, right. uh, with a lot of these. And then uh, on the other side, and you know, PPP loans and the injection of capital, we're still dealing with all of that. How are we gonna structure capital calls? How are we gonna, uh, you know, are we gonna eventually sell assets? What are we looking to do? And how do we you know, manage all of this? And then on the other side, we raised three new funds um, that are looking for opportunities during all this. So, right. Yeah, um, you guys are unique in that way, uh, yeah. is that you're really a, a combination of companies uh, right. that hopefully 
you can take advantage of this at the same time of trying to, you know, keep the existing portfolio in a good spot. So uh, that's probably better than most. Uh, no question. And, you know, we were looking and, and that's, you know, kind of what we talked about organization that you and I had conversations uh, about it before, but, yes. you know, in, in allowing and creating, you know, uh, an organization that can pivot and they can have multiple things going so that, you know, we're not completely impacted when something like this comes up. Well, it's actually a really important point uh, that it's later on in the conversation, but maybe we can start with that now is this ability to adapt. You think of the great sports teams, uh, especially in football, people say, oh, you know, they adapt, come up with a new game plan every week. They can come out at halftime and have a whole new plan of attack. Can hotels and commercial real estate be that flexible and adaptable? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, I think, you know, that adaptability is, is true anywhere. Um, right. You know, you've seen it on the micro side. If you're talking about one asset particularly saying, how am I going to adjust to, you know, the new reality of COVID, whether it's, you know, via reduction in operating costs and, you know, combination of different marketing uh, we've been hearing about different ways that that uh, places have stayed afloat, and uh, you know sometimes it's uh, whether it's a homeless shelter, or a lease to the government, or uh, you know you end up creating a program for working remotely, or you know if you're in a leisure spot, you're pitching your services in a different way. That said, you know there's only so much that you can do in certain instances, right? Where you know you're just as we talked about minimizing the impact. Uh, and you're adapting to that situation to, to best hunker down rather than going on the offensive because you just simply can't. And for that, you need that long-term planning and setup that has a scalability component that can, that can be multifaceted. I mean, when we set out to set up Driftwood Capital, we wanted to be multifaceted and even grow, you know, potentially eventually beyond hotels, you know, so that we're not, uh, you know, stuck in situations where, where we're handicapped. And so, I think there's a question of, you know, organizational setup and scale uh, that always led me to want to scale to to be in that position, right? Because otherwise, as good as you are, as much as you can adapt, uh, you can be stuck and uh, it, it's just going to take time. Yeah, if you're a one-trick pony, these yeah. you can be very painful if you're on the wrong Absolutely. horse. Uh, you know, thinking about, you know, you're a relatively young guy. Many of the listeners may not know that, but... How did you get into this business? Uh, how do you, what motivates you? What drives your business? Uh, so if you could give a, a quick thumbnail of why you chose this and the circumstances uh, that you're faced with today. Uh, great question. I come from a hospitality family. Uh, my grandfather late in his his. Uh, his career, uh, he'd done a variety of businesses, serial entrepreneur, and decided to start a hotel. And, and my dad, uh, who was in finance, and decided to help him at the time, and so that he got into hospitality that way. Um, and uh, you know, my first job was was as front desk as at one of my dad's first hotels here in Miami when he moved our family to the okay. states. Um, so hospitality is is in the DNA, no question. That said, that was. Probably not going to, you know, I never thought I would, I would end up there. Uh, I didn't love my, my experience at the front desk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, the operating side definitely uh, had its challenges, even though, you know, as most, as most pizza traveler tells, uh, the, the glamour side of it, people don't see in, in, in the operations. Uh, right. But, you know, I, um, I would say I'm a, I'm a generalist and, and I, I was always very creative and I like the creative side, but I'm, I'm you know, both the, um, the arts and the sciences. So I, I was kind of mixed in that sense, uh, like the creative with numbers and, and also in, in the arts and, and writing. So I didn't really have a direct path. Um, I did the arts in college and uh, I think, you know, from there, I just wasn't quite sure you know, where I wanted to head. And, you know, because of my dad being in finance and hospitality, I think there's always just a gravitation to explore that um, and commercial real estate in general. And so I had done that in the summers and I liked the finance side of it. Uh, didn't want to be in Wall Street, thought about it for a little bit. And uh, that was a, you know, didn't like the work-life balance there. So I got into commercial real estate on, on the macro scale with LNR. Uh, which is the, was the largest CMBS BP spire and special service are based out of Miami. So that was another reason right. I liked it going back home as well was something that, that uh, attracted me. Um, but, you know, I, I think there was a prior life. I'd want to be an architect and an engineer. So for me, it was always, okay, finance is one component. How do we, I, I always wanted to apply my creativity to, to a variety of things. And so I thought I saw commercial real estate as that ability to do so. At LNR, it was, it was more on the finance track and really learning the industry uh, as a whole, all of commercial real estate. And what was interesting was the hotel team was always on its own. And uh, they uh, and then we had the crisis come when I was there and, you know, they, they needed um, more expert, you know, more people on deck on that side of things working through that. So I got to see a different side of, of hospitality and uh, the intricacies of, from a finance perspective um, that I liked. Uh, so that kind of always stuck with me, but I, you know, for me, uh, there was a goal of, of always making an impact in everything I did. And so there was an opportunity to leave Illinois to join my dad to do affordable housing in Latin America. And that was a macro project, very ambitious, you know, allowed me to, to apply finance on, on a larger scale, but learning, you know, hands-on development, which kind of spoke to the creativity, architect, engineer in me. And so I said, you know what, this, this could be the right blend of everything that calls to me. And so I jumped at that. And yeah. the financing uh, arm that was you know, from the U.S. as a large-scale financing institution, they had to pull out for a variety of uh, specific reasons that uh, happened. Um, and, and so it went from this multi-country, large-scale planning to, to a single country, Costa Rica, where I'm from, a project uh, that had very little attention and was supposed to be a cedar that where it was like, okay, now we don't have a team. We don't have anybody. It's all hands on deck. You got to, you got to deal with this and solve it. Um, well, uh, let me ask yeah. you, cause it, you have, again, this interesting family dynamic. I don't know if you've been watching the crown or have watched the crown. I have been. Yeah. And I sort of try to apply those, those thinkings. It's like, what is it like to be, in a family business, what would you say to other, you know, children of successful people or even siblings of, of other successful siblings about getting into the family biz? I was trying to, to get there because, I, you know, for a while, I never wanted to join up uh, with my dad. I'd always wanted to do my own thing. But because, 
you know, he had this operation. Well, hospitality, I was going to stay away from at the time. But again, I was kind of walking through where it was always there for me at different points in my life. And I wasn't, I didn't have a strong conviction uh, of where I wanted to be, just, uh, you know, trying to learn in different areas and, and apply that. But always, you know, on the personal side, wanting to to grow and scale and, you know, the corporate role. I saw myself growing up the ladder quickly, but, you know, was just concerned with that time frame. So I think one of the things that, that the family business offers is that, especially if you, you know, I would highly suggest not jumping in right away because I think that creates okay. a different dynamic. Um, Go away, come home. <laughs> yeah, no question, right? You, you have to, because otherwise you're seen as, you know, hey, you're, you're, you're next in line. You're going to learn everything from me and you need to you know, pay your dues under my organization. And, and, and you really are. You need to learn outside because there's a lot of things that you can bring to the table that otherwise you don't. Um, and, and it becomes you're kind of stuck in a different dynamic. Um, for me, I'd always uh, I get look, every situation is different. I, I think that there's a lot of value in that for any group. And that's why I apply it. Obviously, some cases you could say it's, maybe it's a big enough organization where you really can. I know some friends that have done that really learn in different divisions with a broader team. And, and then, you know, it, it really sets you up for, for understanding the business, which may take a long time. But most family businesses, I would say, are a little bit smaller in terms of, you know, where you're talking about teams and opponents. So you end up working more hands on with family day one if you jump right into it. And that's where I say there's... There's some there's some issues with doing that. And so, um, okay. look, I I love it, but you have to go in eyes wide open. You you should have some you know experience with the belt. It allows you to take things that you've learned elsewhere, and you know it depends on the type of personality or what you're looking for. But if you're looking for uh, you know something where you can be your own boss and you can make an impact sooner rather than later, and have your you know thoughts you know have the backing put into practice. That's where I really enjoyed working with my dad. I think he uh, had recognized what we could do together. You know, you, you play games as a kid, and you're always competing with your friends. And I, I always did that with my dad. And uh, when whenever we played with a broader group, it was always me and him uh, coming in first and second. And so it was it was a lot of fun when we realized we could team up together. Uh, we think differently, but we end up getting to to similar places. Yeah, another uh, segue uh, about yeah. what we have found is that a lot of organizations, they are really good at the 30,000 foot stuff, uh, vision, right. mission. They talk a big game. They have their value set in place. But a lot of organizations then wind up missing the boat when it comes to execution. I call it the blocking and tackling of a business. Is there you know, a driftwood and a Carlos playbook. Is there something that you refer to uh, as a playbook of how you guys do business? And, and this is that's another great question because this is where it ties you know all my commentary up together. Um, okay. Doing that jump from the corporate to the personal, it was you know with a specific mission in mind that was separate from what he had been doing before. So I thought that was a perfect starting ground because there was a clear path and trajectory to it. And, and we can kind of, you know, set the new ground rules and, and talk about that. Once, you know, that kind of ended and I was stuck at this inflection point in career where I said, okay, 
do I now go back with you and, and we start hospitality together? What does that look like? What what do you get? You know, just doing business as usual, uh, you, you know, you get stuck in a kind of uh, driven by the processes and by happy with the status quo of, of making XYZ money and having this team and everything just kind of going uh, in, in a rhythmic order that if you don't have that specific mission plan or growth plan or playbook, you know, it's kind of like, oh, this is what it is. This is what we do. Um, and you have to, you know, for the growth, especially early on, you're talking about different generational issues. You have to be able to define that and set that up. If you're jumping into what's historical, you have to really understand that and unpack it and say where you want to take it and be very clear with that. And look, that changes, right? But you, you should be always resetting that. I think, you know, year ends is a perfect time to evaluate and say, hey, where should we be headed? Where should we be going? What are we trying to do beyond, you know, financial success or just keeping the status quo going? So yeah, is there a specific playbook? I think we've redefined it every every year now since since I've joined them in 2012. But yeah, right now it's definitely beyond the financial success. We're we're trying to create something special. Right, Dr. Jim and I in our first book, uh, The Wellness of Leadership, we found that especially entrepreneurs in particular, but leaders very rarely tended to be satisfied with results. I'm curious, uh, do you guys? ever get a chance to sit back and enjoy and, and I don't say coast, but, uh, or is it, there's always an, a new hill to conquer. Entrepreneurs are, are tinkers or adventurers, right? There's always going to be that new hill, but there's absolute, I mean, you need to have joy in the victories and, and some moment, you know, ebbs and flows where uh, your arrangements and you know you're you're good for a little bit, right? To kind of it allows you to unwind and to reset your thoughts and your thinking, and, and really make sure that that next hill is the right hill, right? Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah you don't want to be fighting the wrong hill. Yeah, exactly. got it. How do you guys view competition, and then what do you learn or not learn from your competitors? I would say every entrepreneur is extremely competitive, and, and they have to be. Um, yeah, but you know, I think it's there's different ways to approach it. You have to take the right positive attitude and not let it consume you. And you've seen, you know, the competitors who just get angry and upset over these kind of situations versus somebody who can just enjoy the competition and, and look back and say, oh, that was, you know, something that the other team did that was awesome. And, you know, have that sportsmanship approach to everything that you're doing. And that's how you can evaluate your team better, how you can evaluate where you are. You can't just be, so consumed by the shortcomings that you know you're never satisfied. I think it just it creates a negative attitude in the in the in the company. So um, you know it's healthy, but it has to be balanced. Maybe uh, another question, and and I would like it maybe put your dad on the side <laughs> because it seems so obvious an answer. But you know who do you consult with? Who do you get advice from? Uh, how do you seek? Uh, advice when you're faced with a decision or a challenge? So my dad, you know, as it would seem natural, and he is obviously you know, an incredible resource um, and I've learned so much under him. He is, uh, you know, leader by example. And oftentimes, 
because of what we want to do and where we're trying to go. And, and it's the playbook is, is not necessarily the same as what it was. I'm challenging those notions and, and that experience at certain steps. And so it's, it's a great balancing act. But so for me, uh, I think I almost need to you know, constantly go outside uh, to make sure that I'm validating everything appropriately and, and finding that right blend of past experience and new knowledge and where to build on. And so for that, I mean, it is hard. Um, they say, you know, it's lonely at the top. You obviously have your team, which, you know, you should always be hiring the best and the brightest and people who have more experience than you. And especially in a situation like myself, you have to really be able to value that and tap that, but you can only do that to a certain extent. So sure. you have to look at peers, you know, and have conversations with them and see what they're doing. Um, you know, I like uh, seeking out, uh, you know, younger peers in different industries and, you know, colleagues that are doing amazing things, see, see how they're growing their companies and whatnot. And then, you know, also just a lot of reading, um, you know, a lot of, uh, whether it's, you know, historical context things or, you know, kind of put things every what what's happening in the progress of, of technology in, in different industries or you know specific motivational or, or leadership type books. I think they're helpful. There's no doubt that leaders uh, seek out other knowledge and they seem to be voracious readers to a person, the ones that we've talked to. Uh, I'll ask you a, a, a totally kooky question. It probably won't make the, the podcast, but do you make your, your own bed? Ah, oh, that's, uh, yeah, one, one of the constant, uh, you know, hey, this is how you set the day off right. Uh, I do not. Okay, okay. It was one of these crazy yeah. things I had heard is like, uh, you know, yeah. CEOs who make their own bed to outperform those who, who don't. I, I thought it was kind of off the beaten track, but. No, but on that, on that vein, I mean, you have to, you have to be setting up yourself for success and have the small victories and starting the day off. Right. It just, what is that routine? I think for a lot of people, it is that, um, for me, I push myself to, to get up and get, get a workout in right away because otherwise it's just so hard. And so, you know, that helps your thinking throughout the day. And for the bedside, it's like, Hey, if you're not going to do it yourself, make sure that uh, you have the right help in place to, to do that. There you go. Ask for help when, when needed. Exactly. The last question, uh, and it's really about building something. You said your, your goal uh, was to build something special. Let's call that a dynasty because, again, I like the sports analogies. But how do you think of building a dynasty? What does that mean? Is that even something that you really want to do? Oh, so many great sport dynasties. Uh, uh, even when we're talking about of, of uh, creating uh, multiple uh, pillars and avenues of revenue and growth, what is that special? I, I think um, for me personally, there is definitely desire to create something large scale. And, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be me leading it all. I just, I love, you know, having ideas that can impact an industry, society, whatever it may be, you know, the people that are working for improving processes. It's part of, as I mentioned, you know, being that, that constant tinkerer, uh, you want to see those ideas come to life. And so, you know, oftentimes it's under your own direction. Uh, but I am now at a point where there's that perfect, like, uh, inflection point 
where you're you're going from entrepreneur to franchise and you know then some some groups just get stuck in the franchise model and then they kind of sell out you know i never want to lose that entrepreneurial environment i think you look at some of the big companies they've done it you know google they have their division x or whatnot and uh they're constantly creating new things and in, in addition to a franchise model i would love to have both right to have okay. that franchise set up but then working on different projects that could be in or outside of the organization you know i think that that's that would, is what so as long as you're tinkering as long as you're innovating yeah. you feel that you're you're making an impact uh yes yeah, uh, no question yeah that's it, it, Interesting uh, to note. Uh, I said last question, but I got one more. What would you be advising young people today, let's say graduating from hospitality programs, entering a job market that is in some ways uh, very, very questionable? Uh, and what does the future look like? What, what kind of advice would you be giving to young people thinking about this industry? Well, I entered right at the start of the last downturn. So I can understand it extremely well and what that looks like. And it's definitely difficult. And sometimes you're just hopping on to whatever opportunity comes and and that's fine, right? Take that opportunity and start running with it. But it's it's an opportunity typically that can put you on a faster trajectory uh, to success. Really? Uh, in my opinion, because you're in a tough spot, right? These companies are in a tough spot. You always have to wear... Uh, as a new graduate, somebody coming in, you know, not just about what's what's on your plate or what you're being looked at to do, but what is going on at the company? Uh, right. What are they trying to get to? What are they trying to survive? You know, how are they trying to pivot? And if you can, you know, put that into perspective in whatever you're doing and, and add value wherever you can and build on on those processes, it's it's a new testing ground for a lot of people. And so that allows for growth. And so if you you can take on that challenge, you know, head on. Uh, you're going to be in a much better position and and, and much more experienced and qualified in a shorter time frame. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, concept and, and maybe one to, to leave it at. But I, I guess the most famous U.S. presidents, Washington, Lincoln, they were all involved in armed conflict, but uh, but challenging times versus, right. you know, uh, fat and happy and the status quo. So maybe there's an ability to learn more because of what's going on. Uh, so maybe, again, looking at things as an opportunity rather than as a problem or a catastrophe. So 100%. It's all yeah. about the mindset. And I think uh, the crisis, there's a, there's a famous line around, maybe you have it, uh, something to do with you know, crisis begetting opportunities. Yeah, no, I, 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 clearly that's, that's true. I mean, out of those ashes always seem to come some... You know, things that you never would have thought of otherwise. Uh, my guess is the hotel, restaurant, casino business, all of the travel-related businesses will will change probably more dramatically in a short period of time because of all of this. I don't know. I can't predict what that is. But certainly, I think there's going to be some interesting times ahead. I, again, you. Yeah. Yeah. you know, hospitality specifically, right? You're talking about an industry... That has been, you know, seen at the forefront of you know potential changes, technology, innovation. But travel is not going away. Uh, it's just rethought, and, and the experience is rethought. It's a little different than something, you know. But even retail has a ton of opportunity. But I would say hospitality. You know, what's nice is that you still see a lot of people wanting to invest in it, 
significantly and also saying what is what's new. So if you can be in that combination of, of dollars coming in to rethink that new industry, you're, you're going to be reshaping something. What's your favorite hotel in the world? Favorite hotel, not ours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't say my, my my own that's in my in the background of my Zoom call. <laughs> yeah, I went uh, on my honeymoon. We stayed in this uh, hotel in Greece that was absolutely incredible in in Santorini. Uh, so that has to be my favorite. I mean, it's one of those small little boutiques with just like top-notch service and views and each room was unique and different yeah. it had its own little pool in it so I, you know that one to me stands out as, as all time but it wasn't one of those you know it's a small boutique you're talking larger hotels i think you know some of the the classics around the world i mean just because of their history are, are incredible and what about favorite restaurant any just one last meal on earth Oh, you know where where it is for me. Funny enough, it's nothing classy or fancy, but uh, always just a great experience. I, I I told my wife that when we were skiing in in Park City, we went to to Deer Valley for a few days, and uh, we skied into Royal Street Cafe, which is like sits above, you know, kind of one of the main halls, but right. uh, just kind of you, you you kind of wander in and find it, and then it was we just had an incredible dining experience. We kept going back the entire week. And it, I said, you know, if this is uh, the day I die, it's not a bad thing to have a night end on a ski run into into this there you place. Go. The true ski and yeah. ski out restaurant. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it uh, at that. Great to be on. Thanks, Keith. Okay. Happy holidays to you and the family. You too. Okay. Ciao. Take care. Thanks for listening to Dollars and Drivers. Until next time, this is Keith Kefchen signing off.